Uh, as Matt said, my name's Scott Wenig, and uh, I am just uh, so very, very, very grateful to be here with all of you. And uh, if you're joining us online, I want to give you a shout out and say hi and say welcome here to Arise Church. Um, as uh, Matt just said, uh, I have the privilege of teaching at Denver Seminary, where I've taught for about 25 years. But uh, actually, uh, I think, uh, as it's more relevant to all of us here today, um, I've also been uh, a pastor on the staff of four different churches over the years, uh, one of which uh, I had the privilege of helping to start with some friends of mine. And uh, so I always like to tell people that actually I'm a pastor who masquerades as a seminary professor. So uh, it's just my privilege to be here with you and worship with you. And uh, the best part of my life is my lovely wife, Melanie, who is down here to my right, your left. And uh, so she wanted to come over and worship with uh, all of us as well today. So we're, we're both just very grateful to be here with you. Uh, what I want to do this morning is look at an individual out of one of my favorite books in the New Testament, which is the book of Acts. And so this morning what we're going to do is look at three different sections out of the book of Acts, Acts 4, and then we'll transition to Acts 9, and then we'll kind of finally land in Acts 15 as we look at this person, because they exemplify a characteristic that I think the Lord in his mercy wants all of us to exhibit and exemplify going forward in 2021 and beyond. So to get us started this morning, what I want to do is read an initial passage out of Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. So if you brought a Bible or you have it on your phone, and I think maybe, maybe we might have it up here on the screen behind me. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. Let's uh, pay close attention to this. This is God's word to you and to me. Luke, who is the author of Acts, says this. All of the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and they put it at the apostles' feet, and then it was distributed to anyone who had need. Well, we're going to piggyback off of this text into the next couple of verses here in a minute or two. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you if you join your hearts with me in prayer. Father, we thank you that this morning, this Sunday morning, we can gather together as your people, as your church, to focus our time and our energy on you. Lord, we know that you have loved us so much and you've revealed that to us in the Lord Jesus who died for our sins and rose from the dead and who has given us now his spirit as the promise of eternal life. Lord, I thank you so much for everybody that's here today. I thank you for Arise Church and the ministry that it has internally here, but also externally to this community. And Lord, I also want to thank you for your word. I ask that you would just lead us that you would guide us, that, Lord, you would now teach us as we look into the book of Acts, and we ask all of this in the great name of Jesus and for our sakes. Amen. 
Well, it was probably the worst moment of his young life. Without question, it was certainly the most embarrassing. Uh, With 18 seconds to go and his team down by one point to the North Carolina Tar Heels in the NCAA National Championship, Georgetown guard Fred Brown dribbled the ball up court knowing that he had a chance to throw the ball in down low to one of his big men, have them score, and win the national championship. Uh, Then, as he came to the top of the key, he stopped his dribble, and thinking that he saw one of his teammates off to the right, he threw a pass directly into the hands of James Worthy. Uh, There was one small problem. Uh, Worthy was the star forward for the opposing North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, Worthy dribbled the ball the other direction, was quickly fouled, and the game was over. Fred Brown hung his head, and he slowly walked off the court, realizing that he had quite literally thrown away the chance for a championship for himself, his teammates, and his coach, John Thompson. But what did Coach Thompson do in that incredibly painful moment? Did he berate Fred Brown for his mistake? Did he accuse him of stupidity? Did he humiliate him before the media? No, Coach Thompson momentarily put aside his own pain. He ran to center court. He put his arms around Fred Brown in a huge bear hug. And then he whispered words of encouragement in his ear. You know, all of us in this room, all of us online, have gone through some excruciating, some challenging, some actually really, really painful circumstances over the last 14 months. We've had to endure a global pandemic. We've had to put up with lockdowns, shutdowns. There's been a lot of social unrest in our country. There was national controversy centered in the presidential election of 2020. For some of us here, we've lost jobs. We've lost income. Maybe even some of you here have lost a dearly beloved one, a spouse, a friend, a parent. You know, friends, given everything that we have gone through over the last year, I think it goes without saying that all of us in this room, all of us online, all of us as part of Arise Church need some genuine encouragement. See, encouragement is absolutely vital for life and for relationships. It's vital for churches. It's vital for families. It's vital for friendships. Encouragement is essential for our own emotional and spiritual well-being. A Christian writer, Max Lucado, tells about a time a few years back when he was doing the 13-mile run of a half Ironman triathlon. He said that after doing the swim of over a mile and then the 50-mile bike ride, he was really, really dragging. So he decided to ask the guy running next to him how he was doing, and the guy said, This stinks! This is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life! And all he could do was grumble and complain. So Max said he decided to run a little bit ahead to the group in front of him, and there he encountered a 68-year-old grandmother. And she told him, you're going to finish this. 
Keep going. It's hot, but at least it's not raining. Just go one step at a time. Keep hydrated. Hang in there. And then she said, I've got to go, and she sped off. He said her words really, really pumped him up, helped him get to the finish line of that race. Some people do that for us, don't they? They come alongside us, and they encourage us, and they fill our tanks up to the top. And you know, when we're around them, we always feel better. And we want to live better because we know that's how the Lord has made us to live. Uh, Those kinds of people exemplify what the Lord calls us to because, friends, that's the tone he set for us in the New Testament. In fact, the word encouragement is used more than 100 times there. I think that that shows us that the Lord thinks that encouragement is really, really, really important for all his people. It's important for you. It's important for me. Now, since encouragement is so significant, what can we do to make sure that we're becoming more encouraging to all those people around us? If encouragement brings us hope and life and strength, and it brings that to our relationships and to those around us, what can we do to make sure that we're in the process of filling the tanks of other people? Well, to answer those questions, this morning what I want us to do is get a little bit better acquainted with a guy named Joe. Uh, We first find him mentioned in the book of Acts, and he stands out as to what an encouraging person looks like. In fact, it says that whenever Joe came around, everybody got really, really pumped up. He ministered in this way so much that eventually the apostles gave him the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So what was it about him? How did he live? What was it that he exemplified that caused the apostles to change his name? Well, I want us to begin by looking at the verses that follow on the ones that we just looked at there in Acts 4. So look with me, if you will, at verses 36 and 37. Luke tells us that Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, in the context of this passage, as we've just seen, Luke's showing us that the mentality in the early church was one of generosity in order to meet the needs of everybody in the community of faith. And so in an effort to make that general observation really concrete and really personable, Luke uses Barnabas as an illustration. Uh, It seems obvious from what Luke says that Barnabas was a person of means. I mean, after all, he owned some land. But because there was a need in the church, he sold the land, he took the proceeds, He gave it to the apostles so that then they could distribute it to meet the needs of others. He shows us the core essence of an encourager. Friends, encouragers are givers. And one of the key ways they demonstrate that is by giving generously of their resources to other people. 
See, encouragers understand that they're not owners. They're only stewards. See, they realize that God is the owner of everything that we possess and that we're simply the managers of it. And what God has entrusted to us is there to be used to meet the needs of other people. Well, Barnabas knew that, and so he freely gave in order to share with others. And that's what encouragers do. They see their money or their time or their energy as opportunities to minister in an encouraging way. A number of years ago, I was uh, in the process of uh, looking for a new laptop computer. And I'm not very tech savvy. And I thought, well, who, who's somebody who could help me out here? And there was a guy at our church who worked for Microsoft, and he was kind of in the upper echelon. And I thought, if there's anybody that I know that could help me pick out the right kind of laptop, it's Dave. So I went to him at church one day, and I said, um, hey, I'm looking for a new laptop. What would you recommend for somebody like me? And he said, well, Scott, given, given who you are and that you're not very smart and you're not very tech savvy, uh, the kind of laptop you need is the Dell Latitude LX. And I said, okay, great. Well, anyway, a couple of weeks later, he comes up to me at church and he says, did you ever buy the Dell Latitude LX? And I said, well, I haven't because you realize our church is in a capital campaign and I've made a commitment of resources and I'm kind of tapped out financially. So I'll probably wait another six or eight months, maybe next year, and then I'll save some money and get it. And he kind of nodded and said, okay, and went on his way. Well, the following Wednesday, I'm sitting in my office at Denver Seminary, and it's about 11 o'clock in the morning, and the phone rings, and it's Dave. And he, he says, hey, do you want to go to lunch? And I said, well, you know, lunch is one of my spiritual gifts, and of course, you know, I want to exercise it. So uh, we met at a restaurant out here on East Hamden, and he beat me there. And so when I got there, he was already in the booth, and I slid in across from him, and we gave our order to the server, and then after she walked away, he slides a picture across the table to me of the Dell Latitude LX. Now, at the moment, I thought, that's kind of weird. I mean, it's like showing a hungry person a picture of a hamburger. And I said, you know, I understand this is a great laptop, and, you know, I'm sure that down the road, if I save enough money, I'll probably be able to buy it. But, you know, like I said, I'm kind of tapped out right now. And he goes, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. He said, my wife and I bought you one. It's over at my office right now, and we're loading it up with Microsoft Office. I said, wow, I'll buy lunch. <laughs> Friends, when we do something tangible for other people, an act of generosity like that, an expression of hospitality, a service with our gifts. We're engaging in the ministry of encouragement. As somebody once said, and it is oh so true, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. See, encouragers are givers, and the first way they express that is by giving generously of their resources to those who are in need. The second characteristic of an encourager comes to us in Acts chapter 9. So if you want to turn there, let me give us a little bit of context about what's going on in this passage of Scripture. In many ways, Acts chapter 9 is the pivotal point in the book of Acts because it's here that Luke tells us about the conversion 
of Saul of Tarsus. Now, as most of you, if not all of you know, Saul was a Pharisee who hated Christians. And in Acts chapter 9, he's on his way to the city of Damascus, where he wants to persecute the church and wipe them out. But along the way, he meets the resurrected and glorified Jesus, and he gets converted. So then he goes into the city, and he begins preaching about Jesus, and because of his preaching, the Jews in the city of Damascus plan to kill him. So with the help of the small group of Christians there, he escapes and he goes back to Jerusalem where he wants to look for support. But listen to what happens to him starting in Acts 9, verse 26. When he, that is Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Now, for just a moment, Let's put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples in Jerusalem. I think they all had really, really good reason to be afraid of Saul. I mean, in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, Luke tells us that Saul was destroying or ravaging the church. And the word that he uses there for ravage has an interesting picture behind it. It, it's a picture that describes a pig who goes into a field to destroy the field and uproot it as, it as it goes through it and overturn it. Saul's purpose was to uproot and destroy the church. In fact, at the very beginning of Acts chapter 9, Luke tells us that Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the church. So I'd say that those first Christians in Jerusalem had good reason for being concerned that Saul was back in town. But now, let's look at the situation from his perspective. Oh, a few months before, he's a Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's a crowbar against Christianity. But now he's come to know Jesus in a personal way. He's repented of his sin. He's been baptized. He's preaching the gospel with really good results. People are coming to faith in Christ. But then he finds himself in trouble. He finds himself under pressure. He needs some support, and he comes to Jerusalem, and he can't find it anywhere. Except, look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus, So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking in the name of the Lord. Oh, friends, do you see the second characteristic of an encourager? Encouragers give genuine support to those who are in need. Uh, They're the kind of people who look beyond your reputation, look beyond your past, look beyond your appearance to support you. When you need it the most. Uh, One of the ministries that my wife Melanie and I have been involved with over the last 10 years or so is alternative pregnancy centers of Colorado, specifically here in Denver. Well, a few years back, they sent out a flyer in which they were just trying to promote their ministry and how they really try to minister to both men and women. And in this flyer, they used a quote from the diary of one of the people that they had ministered to, and her name was Jane, 
and I want to share with you what she wrote. She said, the abortion was not like they said it would be. It was not what I thought, that my life would be fine, that I could just go on as before and get on with my life and everything would be great. But that's not what happened. I suffered from depression and I became horribly addicted to alcohol. I had a terrible, terrible time. I didn't understand what was going on. And then, through the grace of God, he healed me. I know and saw the destruction abortion can cause in a person's life, and I wanted to be part of helping other women overcome that devastation if they had an abortion. I wanted to help women realize that there are other pregnancy options out there, that there are people who care, like the people at Alternative Pregnancy Center. Their mission is one of helping, and they believe in the woman, and they give the woman real choices. Now, I help women just like me who found out that it didn't just go away. And together, by the grace of God, we're finding healing. Oh, friends, that's what the church needs. It needs people to come alongside each other and say, I'm here for you in your hour of need. If you want to talk, I'll sit down with you and listen. If you are in pain, I will give you a hug. See, in the body of Christ, encouragers have really, really good theology. They know that nobody comes to Jesus with an advantage over anybody else. They know that we have all sinned. You've sinned. I've sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. They know that God gives them grace so that they can minister grace to others. Friends, in the body of Christ, the motto of encouragers is no blame, no shame. I'll support you as you need it. You know, as you look here in the book of Acts, I think it's really, really important to realize that if Barnabas had not come up next to Saul and supported him. We might not have half the New Testament which Saul, who became Paul, wrote, and Christianity might have taken an entirely different direction. See, Barnabas shows us, direct, concrete, in person, that encouragers are givers. They give generously of their resources to those who are in need, and they give personal support to those who need it. There's a third characteristic that encouragers exemplify, and we see that in the second half of Acts 15. So let me encourage you to turn to Acts 15, and once again, as you do so, let me give us a little bit of background, a little bit of context for what's going on in this narrative. We're told that in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out by the church in Antioch on this cross-cultural mission trip and they end up going to Asia Minor, which today we would call Turkey. And they go up into the middle of Asia Minor, and they go to all of these cities like Iconium and Pisidian Antioch and Lystra and Derbe, and they preach the gospel, and they establish all these churches. And then eventually they come back to Jerusalem. Well, after they left all those churches that they preached, and a group of people went in behind them called the Judaizers, who were telling all their new converts, you first have to become a Jew and be circumcised before you can become a Christian. And that creates tremendous controversy. And so they call the Jerusalem council 
in chapter 15 of Acts where they decide, no, this is a wrong view of salvation. You're saved totally by faith alone in Jesus. So after the Jerusalem Council, Paul and Barnabas decide, you know what we need to do? We need to go back up there into Asia Minor and visit all the churches and visit all the disciples up there. But they have a problem. Look at Acts 15, verses 37 and 38. Luke says that Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Well, what happened was they took this young guy along by the name of John Mark with them on their first missionary journey, and it started off well, but when they got to the southern part of Asia Minor, to the city of Pamphylia, something happened. We're not told what, but John leaves the missionary party, and he goes back home to Jerusalem. He deserted them. Well, now it's a few years later, and Barnabas wants to take Mark along with them again, but Paul says, no, he deserted us, and he might do it again. But Barnabas was willing to give John Mark another shot. Look at verses 39 and 40. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Uh, the word that Luke uses here for sharp disagreement literally can be translated very intense conflict. Now, I kind of get the impression that Barnabas didn't like conflict very much. I think if he were around today, we might call him something of a conflict avoider. He'd rather flee than fight. But on this occasion, he goes toe-to-toe, -to -toe, chest to chest, eyeball to eyeball with the great Apostle Paul over the ministry of young John Mark. He shows us the third characteristic of an encourager. They're the kind of people who will give others a second or a third chance. They know that one failure does not mean total failure. They know that in God's economy, failures and mistakes can always be redeemed. Now, I don't know how many of you here or online might be uh, big movie fans, but my wife Melanie and I are big movie fans. And one of my favorite movies of all time is the movie called Seabiscuit, which is the story of the great racehorse from the 1930s and 40s. Well, it's about Seabiscuit, but it's also about the three men who are around him, his owner, Charles Howard, his trainer, Tom Smith, and his jockey, Red Pollard. Well, in one key scene in the movie, Tom Smith is talking to Red Pollard about an upcoming race that was really, really important. And he told him, he said, now this other horse is going to eventually catch up with Biscuit, and when he catches up with him, when he gets right to his right side, and you see him just on your right, give Biscuit the whip and Biscuit will take off and he'll win the race going away. Well, when the race goes, the horse comes up on Biscuit's side, just like Tom Smith said, except Pollard doesn't give Biscuit the whip and the other horse takes off and wins the race. And at the end of the race, Tom Smith is livid and he comes into the locker room and he yells at Red Pollard, what's wrong with you? I told you to give him the whip when he came up on the right. And Pollard says, I couldn't see him. And Smith says, what do you mean you couldn't see him? And he says, I'm blind. I'm blind in my right eye. 
And Smith storms out of the locker room, and he's walking down the steps, and he runs into Charles Howard. And Howard says, Tom, what's wrong? And he says, he lied! He lied! Do you want a jockey who lies? And Charles Howard, very gently, very graciously, grabs Tom Smith by the shoulders. He sits him down, and he quotes back to Smith a line that Smith had said a couple of years earlier. You don't throw away a whole life because it's been banged up a little bit. You know, friends, I don't know about you, but my life's been banged up a little bit along the way. A number of years ago, I went through a very serious experience of failure, and I was out of ministry, and I was pretty much scrambling and lost, and didn't know what I was going to do. And a friend of mine, my Barnabas, came alongside me and got me back in ministry. And I tell you the truth, I would not have the privilege of being here with all of you today if it wasn't for him. And not too long ago, one of my own students went through a similar experience of failure, and it was a real opportunity for me to come alongside him and encourage him and kind of get him back on track. You know, as you look at John Mark in the book of Acts, it might have appeared that in the short run, Paul might have been right. But it's clear that in the long run, Barnabas was absolutely right. Just a few years later, Mark is ministering alongside Paul. At the end of his life, Paul tells Timothy to get John Mark and bring him with you. He's got a ministry for me. Eventually, Mark was the Christian leader who took the gospel down to Africa and planted the church there. And because Barnabas encouraged John Mark by giving him a second chance, we now have Mark's biography of Jesus, the gospel of Mark. Oh, friends, encouragers are givers. They give generously of their resources to those who are in need. They give support to those who are in need. They give others a second or a third or a fourth chance. And the reason they do that is they realize that God has given them his very best in Jesus. So that raises a question. How can we apply a message like this? Is there anything that you and I can do to improve our encouragement skills in the coming weeks and months? Well, let me make some suggestions for us here. Uh, Suggestion number one, write somebody a note of encouragement. Tell them how much they mean to you, or tell them what they did for you, really, really encourage them. Tell them how thankful to the Lord you are for them. Oh, a few years back, we were having some drama at Denver Seminary, and I kind of inadvertently got pulled into the middle of it, and it was really painful for me. And one night, I came out after work, and there on my windshield on my car was a note of incredible encouragement from my wife, Melanie. That note that she had taken the time to write meant the world to me. Suggestion number two, give a family member, maybe your spouse or one of your kids or a sibling or a parent, 
give them an encouraging word. Maybe it's a word of forgiveness, or maybe a word of support, or maybe a word that encourages a second or a third chance. Let them know that wherever they're at right now, you are right there with them, and you will help them as they need it. Speak their love language. Fill their tank. And above all else, above all else, stress the positive. Suggestion number three. Find someone that you know who has a need and then meet that need. Wash their car, clean their house, pay a bill for them, watch their kids for a couple of hours, maybe take them to lunch or take them to coffee and exercise the ministry of listening. Friends, listen, listen, listen. Encouragers are givers. They give of their resources. They give support to those who are in need. They give others a second or a third chance. So let's be like Barnabas. Let's make Arise Church a church filled with encouragers to each other and to everyone the Lord brings our way to this church. Benjamin West was a very, very famous painter, and he loved to tell the story of how when he was a kid, he loved to paint, but he wasn't any good. He said that on one occasion his mom left the house and he got all his paints out and he was going to paint this picture and he started to paint the picture and he made a mess along the way, just made a mess. And he was hoping to get the mess all cleaned up before his mom came home, but she came home early and she came in his room and she saw the mess that he had made. But instead of getting on his case, she walked over, she picked up the painting that he had painted She said, Benjamin, that is a beautiful picture. And then she gave him a kiss and left the room. Benjamin West said it was with that kiss of encouragement that he became a painter. You know, every single day, all of us in this church All of us in our families, all of us with the people that we work with, all of us are trying to paint a picture with our lives, and sometimes, we don't mean to, but sometimes we make a mess. And the last thing that you need or I need or anybody around us need is somebody to come along and say, look at the mess you've made. No, instead, 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 what you need, what I need, what they need is a kiss of encouragement. Friends, let's be like Barnabas, by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit. Let's encourage others. Let's give of our resources. Let's give them support. Let's give them a second or a third chance because encouragement is absolutely vital for relationships, for families, for churches, and for communities. Let me pray for us, and then our terrific, terrific worship team is going to come up and lead us in a closing song. Father, we need your grace. We thank you that you've exemplified it in Jesus. We appreciate so much, Lord, the power of your spirit. May you encourage us today so we can encourage others. And now as we sing out to you, help us to sing to the best of our ability because you are the God of encouragement. We ask this in your name and for our sake. Amen.